When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast, the voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Welcome to Business in Heels podcast, the podcast that inspires and educates women in business globally to succeed. Now, over to your host, Anne Marie Cross. Welcome to another episode of Business and Heels Podcast. This is episode 22. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, the podcasting queen and creator of Podcasting with Purpose Podcast Training. We've got a very special guest today, but let me introduce the topic that she's going to be talking about today. Now, despite the spotlight and effort that's been placed on achieving gender equity in the boardroom by governments, community leaders, advocacy groups, and the like in Australia, almost 71% of all directors represented on the ASX 200 boards are male. Now, while we often hear about steady progress being made towards a 30% gender diversity target called for by the Australian Institute of Company Directors, according to the Gender Diversity Quarterly Report released by the ACID or AICD, we saw a 2% increase last year. So my guest asked today, where does this leave us another decade or two achieving real equality? We're going to dive into that topic. Now, joining me on today's show is Business and Heels' very own Jo Plummer. She is someone who is passionate about this topic and who herself has sat around quite a number of boardroom tables. Let me just give you a quick overview of her bio. She's the executive director and co-owner of Business and Heels International. She's been a board chair on Barwon Water, Vic Water, Barwon Asset Solutions. She's a committee chair on the Geelong Regional Football, advisory board chair and Deacon MBA, and Geelong committee member on the AICD. So she's got a lot of experience that we can certainly tap into today. And Jo says, if we're serious about achieving true gender equality in the boardroom, and she doesn't mean that respectable 30%, let's all of us who are in position of influence get serious about how we can tap into the right talent. Welcome to the show, Jo. Hello, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Look, you have got such a wealth of, of experience and knowledge sitting on boards. And as we said um, earlier in the introduction, this is an article that you wrote. And I'm sure we can put a link on the show notes so if people could want to access that and read mm-hmm. the full article that you wrote, they can certainly uh, do that. But that really, I mean, with all of the, the the diversity and so forth, the topic and the discussions going around the boardrooms, that still is a low, low percent, isn't it? It is a very low percent. And I think, you know, it's it's really interesting because once upon a time, I was not an advocate of poor targets. I think in any well-defined strategy, you can have a target. And, and if our strategy is to be gender equal across the boardrooms, and we know that that gives better results to companies, then we probably do need to put a target on it. And you know, if we're serious, we need to put the right target on it, which is, is 50%. Yes. Um, I could certainly live with 40, 40, 20, mm-hmm. understanding that some boards have, you know, seven or nine or 11, mm-hmm. um, but, but 
but certainly 50-50 what we're striving for. Yes, and it's interesting because studies show and even organisations who do have more of a balanced um, equity sitting around the table report, you know, greater results because of that, you know, broad discussion that's brought to the table, yet there's still so few women sitting around the boardroom. What do you see are some of the issues around that? Let's talk about some of the issues and then some of the strategies and things that you see are working so that we can become far more proactive in, in promoting this and, of course, seeing that women who want to are invited to sit around those tables. So what are some of the things that you see are not working? Look, I think there's, there's two key things. Um, and one is one is around women's confidence and not seeing themselves in the boardroom. That's number one. And, and number two, which is the article that you referred to, I think actually we tend to look for female directors sometimes in the wrong places. And I'll come back to, to that one. But actually in terms of women's confidence, I think, you know, I, I reflect on my own journey. And, you know, it's that whole imposter syndrome. How could I possibly be sitting around the board table and what do I really have to contribute um, and depending on what board it is we all feel that we have to have those really deep specialist skills and they are absolutely important there is no doubt about that but of equal importance is having you know that that free thought having a strategic focus being able to ask those insightful questions at the right time of the right people mm. you know quite often the you know the dumb questions that people often refer to can give you those like moments and I think you know getting women to really think about um, why they should be part of a board and how they can go about doing that giving them the confidence that they are enough mm. that their experience counts and is enough yes. is really really important yes um, and yes. you know getting rid of that little doubtful voice in your head and thinking about what it is that you can own and contribute mm -hmm. and be really comfortable with that yes that's probably the first one one of the things I'm going to jump in there and let's just um, I guess dive a little bit deeper into um, women I know we often have that imposter syndrome or we'll look at a particular I hear this happen a lot too and I'm sure this is probably similar to um, looking at potential boardroom uh, placements but we look at a, a, a job description and when we don't have two or three you know practical experience in certain things we just take ourselves out of the running so when you talk mm. about some of those specialist skills what are some of those specialist skills let's list them because quite often we don't see that what we bring to the table is actually going to be a value but they may very well sit around some of those specialist skills that you know are so important uh, in in someone who is going to be sitting on a board mm. so I think it's about you know in, in education there's this this program that's called recognition of prior learning which can actually accredit you um, you know to, to achieve certain specialist um, streams and I think this is no different it's thinking about your learning and wisdom and experience and applying that to whatever the situation might be and often that is equally as valid mm. as the specialist skill itself some of the specialist skills that I'm talking about that people um, are absolutely hell-bent on having is you know accounting finance, mm -hmm. economics, law, marketing, you know, those pure streams that are absolutely really important. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're quite freely available as well. Yeah. So that's not to discount in any shape or form, um, you know, the, the role that those people bring to the table. And mm -hmm. from a governance perspective, we need to have a real matrix of skills to make sure that our governance is you know, dinky giant and actually is doing what it's supposed to do. Mm. 
beyond that, if we want to be able to stretch our thinking and be out of the box and um, dynamic and future focused, then we need different sets of skills. Yes. And even if you apply it to the Edward de Bono's thinking hats, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the end of the day, some of those can be really, really helpful. And you know, just because it hasn't got a um, you know accounting degree or a really specific degree behind it, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we devalue it, and, and that's not helpful. No. Now, something that you said earlier was, and I, I read this from your article because I think it's so good. Female SME business owners are often discounted because of the unconscious assumption that society makes. Someone working from home couldn't possibly have the right experience. They play small. She doesn't have the risk appetite, and the list goes on. When I read that, I went seriously yeah. because when I speak to, and I've spoken to a lot of women in business who do have a home-based office, and some of them are running multi-million-dollar global companies, mm. and mm. they do it sometimes in their slippers at their yeah. desk that is in their own home. And and I think people are just not tapping into the resource, the knowledge and experience these women offer. Yeah. And I think that, that really takes me to that to, to, to that second point that I made. So one is around the confidence and the other is where are we looking for our female, potential female directors? And we all know that in the past, we've all looked to the C-suite. The reality is, the number of women in the C-suite isn't 50-50 either. No. So if that's where we're fishing for our, our pipeline of female directors, well, then we're probably never going to get there. So, um, and, and that's for lots of reasons. That's probably another podcast in itself, you know, around, um, you know, why haven't enough females made it into the C-suite? But if we take that aside for the moment and think about, well, there are many, many women that have had terrific corporate careers may not have been in the C-suite, but they are very well educated, they're clever, they're smart, they're running families as well. Um, And these women quite often have left corporate life because they feel they haven't had the right support, the flexibility, the whatever, and have had really good ideas that they've wanted to turn into their own business. Mm -hmm. And we know that women starting businesses is one of the fastest growing sectors in the economy. Yes. And if we want that to be... Uh, a really positive effect on our GDP. We need those those women to, to, to succeed. But what that then tells me is that if that is the fastest growing sector, and we know that these women have all of those attributes, not to mention that they are making over 80% of the household purchase decisions. Yes. And I don't know about you, if I'm sitting on a product and service board, I want some of those people and mm-hmm. their insights on my board table. Mm. Um, and so if you think about all of these, these women, and in fact, women starting businesses uh, is far, a faster growth area than men at the moment, um, there's a great pipeline of women to choose from in that space. But recruiters are not looking in those non-traditional spaces. And I think we're missing out as a result of that. Yes. Well, let's look at that. If someone who is actively recruiting to seek board members, uh, how would they go about that? I mean, obviously connecting with an organisation such as yourself because you've got incredible women who are part of Mm. the membership. So how would they go about reaching out, connecting? I'm sure you've got some some um, some strategies to support them and then what i'd love to dive into is maybe for for women who may now be thinking a little bit oh maybe i i could have value to offer 
what are some of the things that are discussed typically in in the board? Because again, it's kind of I don't know what they don't know, so I'm not going to put my hand up for something. So maybe you can give some insights into that too. But first, for recruiters, how would they seek out these women who have home based businesses and have got a you know wealth and depth of knowledge to share? Mm. So I think traditionally what they have done is they've engaged in partnerships with large corporations. And, you know, they've got this, this talent pipeline and, you know, they tend to be the same old, same old people in doing that. I think what recruiters need to do is to connect with more um, based, uh, more organisations like Chamber of Commerces mm. um, who are representing small and medium enterprise. And that's not just for women, but that's for men as well, by the way. Mm. So if we know that 97% of our economy is driven by small business, why wouldn't we be tapping into some of that? And of course, the cry for big business to be doing business with little business, so big B to little B and vice versa, mm-hmm. then let's infuse our boardrooms with that. So yes. areas like the Chamber of Commerce, I think, is, is really important. There are other organisations like Business and Heels, like BNI's, you know, Business um, Networking International uh, groups, and, and a myriad of others mm. that really foster um people who are working in, in small and medium enterprise. And so, again, I think it's about creating those relationships, not just with the C-suite uh, mm-hmm. area themselves. So that's really important. But equally important, it's not about, it's not a one-way street. Mm-hmm. So if you have an inkling that you would like to potentially help shape the future of an organisation and there is or, or, or you know a theme or an industry or whatever it might be, then you need to take accountability for that too and think about how you can put your hand up mm-hmm. um, and be considered. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of ways that you could um, to do to do that and there's lots of websites and all sorts of, you know, there's courses that you can do to make sure that you're qualified in that space, mm-hmm. which I'm really happy to chat about as well. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. let's, let's um, maybe some of the things that you did, if we look back to mm-hmm. the introduction, I mean, you've been a board chair for a number of different organisations. Take us back to the very first board that you sat on. Was that something that you proactively put yourself forward for or was it through connections and networks that you'd been building over time and they saw, you know, the, the skills and, and, and experience they leveraged? What happened? How did that happen for you? Yeah, so I knew I wanted to be um, a a NED, a non-executive director. And so I was in corporate at the time and my specialist skill, I guess, if you would call it that, is around building really robust business strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that business strategy can be corporate, but it can equally be not-for-profit, government, small, medium enterprise, and I've worked across all of those. But my first gig, so having done the Australian Institute of Company Directors director program, which is an absolute must Mm -hmm. for anybody who's serious about doing that. That is probably the the most well-credentialed course that you can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in terms of bringing together all of those key areas that board members need to consider and understanding your risk and and all of those things. So I had done that. Mm -hmm. Like most people, I was thinking about, well, how do I get involved at a not-for-profit level first? Um, Now, that's not because not-for-profit areas are less important, but quite often they are, I guess, they're limited by guarantee, so your risk is is less, Mm -hmm. and it gives you an opportunity to give back and really get some runs on the board before you're asking, obviously, for for a pay packet to do that. And so my first board role came about through networking, and it was kind of 
by chance, really. Um, and certainly that board um, that I went on wasn't, I wouldn't say, a high-performing board. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I look, you know, back to where I was um, and the dynamics that were at play, it's very different to what I'm now used to. But having done that, I then became a lot more proactive, I think, in that space and really started getting um, connected with government you know, and going up and seeing the different departments and looking at what boards were available. Mm. Um, you do need to be careful, obviously, not to get lots of little roles that keep you very busy but don't pay you any money. Yes. Um, so if you, you know, if you are thinking about doing that, for a profession, then you know you do need to be careful about that, particularly as women, because we just want to get in and help and, and nurture. Um, and that's not to say I don't have give back boards. I do. I absolutely do plenty of that. But I'm also very clear about the areas that um, you know are income generating and that don't need me to, to use my skills for free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of places that you can actually put your name down and if you google there's things like um, get on boards which is at the victorian state government um, the federal government have have one too which if you just again google how do i get on a federal um, board um, they'll, they'll come up there's organizations like the aicd that actually have a membership that allow you to um, apply for those roles there's another organization called women on boards mm -hmm. that you can at. Um, another one is board directions and of course LinkedIn mm. so you can set up um, you know a job alert for those and you can apply really easily um, and do that not to mention walking up and down you know in Melbourne it's Collins Street which is where all the recruiters are and knocking on their door and just you know having a coffee and chatting about what it is that you're passionate about the areas you want to work in yes such great uh, insights there. And once you started to familiarise yourself and you'd been on a couple of boards, I'd imagine that that experience and the networking that you continue to do would, would then bring more opportunities across your desk, so to speak, that um, that you then said yes to and so forth. Is that Because that's the kind of thing that often happens, isn't it? Once you start to become known and you start to contribute, um, your reputation um, mm. starts to go amongst the circles that you want to continue to network in is, is that sort of how how the other board and committee chairs and those kind of things came up for you um yes and no um so in part and then of course you know it's getting harder and harder networking is really important mm. because what it will do with will either get you a seat to the table in the first instance yes um, or it will, you know, it will pique your interest in something. So someone will have said something or talked about it and all going, oh, I want to find out more about that. Um, but actually, and if it's not done this way, I would question um, whether or not I actually wanted to sit on that board. Most boards today are very professionally governed. They are very clear on the skills that they need mm -hmm. um, and some of the more contemporary governance requirements like having a gender diverse, a culture diverse, an age diverse board, mm -hmm. um, you know, making sure we've got the right skills across, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they are appointed that way. So I might well be a very well thought of business strategist, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, if that's not what they need on their board, then you know, that's, I should not be placed on that. Okay, yeah. And I think if right. boards don't have that process, then I would question, well, like, is it 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good question. And, and let's just um, reflect on this. So that that's something to be mindful of. If, if that becomes apparent, then you've got to consider, is this really an opportunity that I want to invest time, time into? What are some mm. other things that you would recommend as women we look out for? Because if this is happening or not happening, it may not be a, an opportunity that really will be a win-win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think it's like most things, you need to look at risk and reward and you need to look at why. So why is it, A, that you want to be a non-executive director and B, why that board, why that organisation? Mm -hmm. So you need to be confident that, you know, you have a real interest in, in doing that because, you know, there is a risk-reward equation that you need to consider and the risk for most people is pretty high. Mm -hmm. So we've all heard in the news about, you know, directors, you know, potentially going through the court system and being liable for things that, you know, in reality, they probably didn't have that much control over, but all the best intentions and questions and processes and what have you that they, you know, sought to see that was in place. Um, so one of the pieces of advice is make sure you do your due diligence on that organisation. Mm -hmm. um, and make sure that there is the right director's uh, insurance, both from an indemnity and liability perspective. Um, that, that can be quite a minefield. Um, and make sure that you feel that that organisation, you know, have a look at some of the media and Google and see what sort of reputation they have and where you might, because at the end of the day, if you're going to be on the board, you need to be adding value. Yes. Um, and at the end of every board meeting, I literally sit down and, okay, how did that go? What value did we add to that organisation that would not have been there mm. had we not have sat around the table for three hours and discussed those issues? Yes. So, you know, it's, it's really about thinking um, in that space, but doing it in a really creative way. So a board can get really hung up on ticking and clicking and making sure all of the governance things and the compliance things are sorted, mm -hmm. and they are very important. There's no doubt about that. But boards are there also to shape strategy and direct um, the future of an organisation mm -hmm. and really live its purpose. Yes. And so if you're not dedicating you know, good amounts of time to that for real discussions, again, I would question the value of having a board checking the checkup. Yeah. And I yeah. think, you know, as you're sharing that, uh, one of the key things I, I would imagine is really important is uh, to make sure that you may have some questions. Is it like, because I've never been on a board where you go through all those processes. I've been on smaller boards with the local community and, you know, with the business owners and, and council and so forth. Um, so when you go and you approach them, do you have an opportunity to ask questions? So it, it, one of the questions that comes to my mind as you're sharing that, if they are about, look, we want to, to implement some innovations because we want to add value for our say business community in this area if you want to find out is this really something they want to do or is it just speak you know let's just put ideas on paper but we're going to house them maybe a good question would be what's the last innovation you know project that you you drove forward and if they can't come up with that then kind of thinking well is this just talk around the table so do you have an opportunity to ask those kind of questions before you say yes Absolutely. And mm. everybody should have their own little, you know, check What's sheet. Um, yeah. I certainly have my check sheet. And one is that, you know, <laughs> they're financially stable because um, yeah. the last thing you want to get caught out on is something in that space. But there's also, I mean, the two biggest things I think are culture and strategy. Mm. And if you don't feel that the people around the table that you're working with 
are congruent with not necessarily what your opinions and thoughts and direction is, but in terms of willingness to be open and explore mm. and get the very best of that positive tension that you can get around a board table, mm-hmm. that would be a red flag for me. Yes. And so, you know, meeting with the other board directors and understanding a little more about, um, you know, where their headspace and their expertise and, and the way they would consider um, their input, making sure that you meet with the chair, you know, doing your research um, from a media perspective and saying what, you know, these people are known for and mm-hmm. the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's not to say if there's some bad and ugly that you don't do it, but it, it's about whether or not understanding you think you could make a difference and fit into that organisation. But culture and strategy are, in my view, um, apart from the hygiene measures around, you know, governance and compliance, which mm-hmm. are very important, but culture and strategy is the single biggest impact, I think, a board can have for the future of an organisation. Yeah, fabulous. And so typically is a board uh, membership, obviously as, as you're talking about today, typically over a certain time frame, or is that going to vary between mm-hmm. board to board and organisation to organisation? Look, it does, it does vary um, and they can be anything from, you know, casual vacancy positions um, through to termed appointments. So, um, and generally they go from between two to four year appointments. Mm. Uh, good governance says that, you, you, you know, you probably shouldn't do any more than eight-ish years on a board right. because yeah. it is important, no matter, you know, how good we all think we might be in contributing, Fresh ideas are a good thing. And so, you know, in, in a really good organisation, they would make sure that people's um, tenure is staggered. Mm. Um, as they're refreshing the boards, yes, they might um, reappoint for another term, but they will alternate and make sure that there is somebody coming in with some fresh eyes at mm. different points in time. Yeah, um, great. Yeah. And what sort of commitment, um, and I know this is probably, again, different, but I'm sure people are now considering it's okay, we run busy lives and many of us Mm -hmm. are in business ourselves. Um, What kind of time, average time commitment, meeting like monthly, I guess Mm -hmm. that's going to differ all the time, but on average, what what commitment did you find that a lot of your board placements required of you? Yeah, so there's the board meeting itself, which is generally around three hours. Some Some boards meet for a full day. Um, but if you were meeting monthly, then I would say probably three to four hours mm-hmm. would be enough. Yeah. Um, for me, my best boards um, would meet uh, every second month. Mm. And, you know, perhaps sometimes in between we might have different, you know, task force or, or strategy work days or, or those sorts of things. Mm. But, of course, the really um, important time factor that often people miss is, is preparing for those board meetings. You know, when you're getting, well, whether you're getting paid or not, you need to come to that meeting having read the papers, understanding the key issues, mm-hmm. um, really made sure that you've got across any I questions before the meeting as opposed to we questions. Mm-hmm. So don't waste other people's time around the table asking things that are really just for you. Yeah. clarification questions. Make sure they're we questions. Um, and, you know, I'll give you an example just coming up um, to this last couple of months with financial year end, all of the boards that I am on obviously have a, a range of compliance things. So I had 2,000 pages to get across. Wow, uh, Based on about 10 days. And, you know, that takes a considerable amount of time. 
Um, that's a once a year event. And again, I would always encourage the boards that I'm on to make sure that their papers are as short as possible. Mm. Don't just put the information in so that actually you can never find the nugget and all mm. that sort of stuff. So I, I would like not to go to meetings that have any more than a couple of hundred pages, ideally. Yeah. Um, and really the value, again, is making sure that you've got just the right amount of information to be able to ask the right questions and have that, that discussion at the board yeah. table. Yeah, great. This has been so valuable, Joe. I think just give a you know fantastic overview of uh, everything that's kind of involved. So on a personal level, I mean, you're still sitting on boards and, and uh, going through all of those things that we talked about today. But for you personally and also professionally, what would you say are some of the greatest takeaways, um, outcomes, benefits, however you want to call it, that you've really gained yourself through sitting on, on some of these boards? Mm. So there's probably three. One is cross-industry experience. And um, really, I think in, in being a really valuable board member, it's good to have different industry experience because what you can bring to the table is taking the best out of those and applying it to your situation. So I think that's, that's really important. The second one is, is saying yes and being well networked mm. um, because that is how opportunities in all sorts of you know parts of your life with their personal things and you know things that you might get your kids involved in through to you know looking at your next board role through to consulting um you know spaces things that you can help people with i mean i get great joy in connecting someone for you know a better purpose with no expectation at all in return being able to do that so i think that is incredibly valuable and the third one for me is uh being able to shape the future mm. of an organisation and the impact that it has on the environment around it. And there is no better place to do that from a boardroom. Yeah. Um, and for me, having got, uh, you know, I have a very strong, I guess, commercial background, but really exploring how I can use that to get the best outcomes from a community perspective, you know, from social prosperity and the environmental prosperity, there is... You know, it's proven to me that there is absolutely no reason why that can't and should not be done. Mm. If you want to take a driving role in that, in any industry, then there is deep satisfaction from doing that. Yeah, I can imagine. And there's nothing better, I think, than to surround yourself with, as you said, other people in different industries with different, well, issues, challenges, but also opportunities that mm. so often when we're in our own industry, working in our own business, we only see so much. And it's then that we, we can really adapt and adopt across different industries, as you say. Mm -hmm. So it, it will impact the growth in our business too as we learn, as we hear what other people are doing and reflect and take that back to our mm -hmm. own organisations and vice versa. I think there's a rich depth um, and wealth of knowledge that is untapped, as we said mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, this has just been an incredible interview. I mean, I've learned an incredible amount too, and I know everybody else will too, listening and watching. So just share a little bit as we end the, the show today, a little bit more about Business and Heels, because there may be some people that are listening today that have mm -hmm. not yet tapped into this incredible network. So what's the best way for them to do that? The best way, if, if they've not had anything to do with Business and Heels before, or even had, is, is to jump on the website. There are so many opportunities to connect in different ways. We have three key pillars. One is about connections. The other is about marketing yourself and your business. 
And of course, our third one is around education. Um, both Lisa and I as co-owners of the business are, are very, I guess, um, touchable and contactable. Our emails are not hidden, our phone numbers are not hidden. And if there's anything that you think we can help you with, um, drop us a line, give us a call um, and, and get involved. Come yeah. to one thing and see what it's about. What does it cost you in the end, really? Mm. Just say yes and then see what comes your way. Yeah, fantastic. Well, once again, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge. You are certainly someone that can add value to this being that you've sat on many boards and uh, and committees and so forth too. And of course, the spearheading the, the leadership of the Business and Heels uh, podcast and also, well, the, the network. And thanks again for coming on this podcast. And for those of you who have not yet subscribed to the show, go ahead and do that. You can do that with Apple Podcast, um, the show notes, ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com forward slash B-I-H. 22 and we'll put some of the links there to the articles and maybe even some of the links to some of the organizations that you mentioned during the show too joe that people can click right through and find out more so that they can better prepare themselves and uh, be knowledgeable on what to do what to look out for if opportunities come their way to sit on board so once again thanks for coming on the show my great pleasure thanks Anne marie